The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Escape? You're crazy. Any slave who runs is hunted down, killed. Nothing is worth dying for. Not even your freedom? What freedom is there in death? At least now I'm alive. Sonara, this isn't living. If you could choose freedom, would you? Yes. Good. I'll need your help. I'm not a warrior like Solomon. What can I do? You can scream. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, September 8, 2011. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we'll be with you from now until noon. No, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right. If they could choose freedom... Would they? That's the question that most Ontarians will be facing for the first time in Ontario's history. A new political player on the scene, a new choice, a different direction, the Freedom Party of Ontario. Yeah, it's election time in Ontario again, the writ having been dropped just yesterday, and with voting day scheduled for Thursday, October 6th, four short weeks from today. So enter Stage Right. He is the leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario, and he thinks he's got something to offer voters of Ontario that would be pretty hard to resist. Paul McKeever, welcome to the show. Morning, gentlemen. Good morning, morning London. Paul. You're certainly Great to no have stranger you to the show. <laughs> no, he's been a frequent guest, eh, yes. Bob? Yeah. Um, just to get the ball rolling, Paul, there's a lot of leaders out there, if you want to call them that. You've got your hoodacks and your... Horvaths and your McGinties, and they all seem to be going in the same direction, which is to the left and restricting our rights, restricting our freedoms, taking money from us to give to other causes. And I feel a little bit like that slave in the intro. Uh, why would somebody like yourself, myself and Bob as well, because we all work for freedom every day, why would you devote so much of your time, and I know you get very little sleep, especially this next month, you're not <laughs> going to get any sleep at all, why would you devote so much of your time to fighting for freedom when the vast majority of us in Ontario seem to be content to be slaves? Well, you know, there's there's two parts to that question. I think, first of all, I, I do it because, personally, I think the government should allow me to pursue my own personal happiness. And I think that everybody participating in the Freedom Party team wants that same uh, thing for themselves and for all of their friends and family and everybody else in Ontario. But the other thing is that, you know, we often are told people don't want change. I, that's not what I hear. Uh, what I hear is that people do want change and they feel that, well, I've got to vote for either the Liberals or the Conservatives because I've got to either keep McGinty in in the one case or I've got to bump him out in the other. So it's not so much that there's a, a great sentiment out there for uh, progressive conservative uh, left-wingism because, I mean, effectively the progressive conservatives are just offering the exact same platform as the Liberals. They're saying $6 billion more for healthcare, just like the Liberals. They're saying the exact same thing for education. They're promising all the same promises because they're saying, look, we're not promising to be different. We're promising to give you a different party color and a different leader's name. And they think that that 
is the recipe to you know fill the void because they're really hoping that people just toss McGinty out and then pick whoever is number two. So I don't think necessarily when you hear about the uh, lack of a desire for for a change that that means uh, a lack of a desire for the right or for freedom or for uh, capitalism or any of the other kinds of ways you might ca- uh, characterize Freedom Party's platform. I think there's a uh, concern, a strategic voting, if you will, that some people feel locked into. Now, luckily... I think in this election, uh, people are getting sick of strategic voting, and I think they're starting to find that, uh, you know, passing the baton between progressive conservatives and liberals over and over again is just uh, not doing the trick, especially this time. I mean, we've got just the, in the last 24 hours, the liberals put out a $12 million uh, election platform, or a plank, rather, in their platform, and it says that, uh, you know, the government should subsidize employers to hire uh, immigrants, recent immigrants, to Canada who are looking for their first job. Well, within hours, uh, the progressive conservatives did what progressive conservatives have always done historically in Ontario, and that is try to pull out the anti-immigrant vote. Um, you know, Historically, progressive conservatives have been the party of the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. They've historically been anti-French, anti-Catholic, anti-immigrant. Uh, that sort of tailed off in the mid-80s, but it's clearly still a, a strong force within that party because their first response was to say to everybody who's not a recent immigrant, why is McGinty trying to favor or give affirmative action for foreign workers? These are Canadian citizens living right in the province. And he's calling them foreign workers. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, I think that kind of thing doesn't set you up to be the next premier. It sets you up to be the next, you know, federal progressive conservative party, the, <laughs> the outgoing, if you will. Now, there's um, an interesting debate I had the other day about why somebody uh, would want to vote PC, progressive conservative, and this was from a person who was a progressive conservative. And it came down to identifying that the conservatives are identical to the liberals and the NDP in all policy and platform planks, except that sometimes they say that it's a matter of degree or, oh, now is not right, not, not the right time for such a policy. We agree with the policy, but not now. Let's do it a little later when we have this under control or that under control. Or we can do it better than you can or more efficiently than you can. So everything they agree with, they agree with all of the socialist policies of the NDP and the Liberals. They're just tinkering over the degree. And it reminded me of the Winston Churchill comment to the lady across the hall saying, we already know what you are, ma'am. Now we're just negotiating the price. So (laughs) these are all three uh, parties are identical. So the Freedom Party is going to stand out. How? What what is it about the Freedom Party that puts you aside? And by the way, just as a caveat, I work, not, not paid, of course, but I volunteer my time for the Freedom Party. And so does Bob. Bob is the president of the Freedom Party. Yes. Just to get that out there, we are three of us working for freedom. And we should also point out that you can call into the show today at 519-661-3600 to comment or pose a question on anything you're about to hear today, because you don't have to agree with us on anything we say. No, you got a question for Paul McKeever or any of us, just give us a call, 661-3600. That's the number to call. So what is it that distinguishes the Freedom Party from the the Troika, the three socialist parties that are out there? Well, you know, one of the things you can see if you look at the platforms of of, uh, the PCs, the Liberals, the NDP, and compare that with the platform of Freedom Party of Ontario, um, is that they are, for the most part, dealing with system issues. Things would be uh, would be of interest to bureaucrats. So we will shift funds from this to that pot. We will move uh, more emphasis on this program versus that program. Whereas Freedom Party has 
uh, they're less about, you know, serving the politician. Freedom Party's platform is more about serving the people. Um, for example, there's a, there, we, I mean, we obviously have the important uh, matters addressed on electricity. We're saying no to such things as making fighting climate change the number one priority in electricity. If you look at the Liberals and the Progressive Conservatives and the NDP, they're all saying we're not going to do anything with power prices that requires us uh, to use, for example, clean new technologies other than wind, solar, or nuclear, all of which are extremely expensive forms of electricity. They're also they're running the other way from anything that has the word coal in it. For example, coal gasification, which is cleaner than natural gas. They won't even mention that because it's one option that has the word coal in it. <laughs> so they're, they're so uh, wrapped up in the uh, idea that you've got to fight CO2 emissions that they're, they're willing to allow, in every single case, the price of electricity to skyrocket. Um, that includes the progressive conservatives with their uh, nuclear. They're emphasizing nuclear. So are the liberals, but the liberals are adding on some extra damage. That is the solar and the wind. The, uh, the PCs are saying, oh, no, we'll just focus on, on nuclear and hydro. Well, there's not much hydro left, not many water sources in the province left to tap. So they're really just talking nuclear. And the most recent price for that was $26 billion per unit. Well, we haven't even paid for the ones we've got, and they're almost out of commission because of progressive conservative governments and liberal governments that refused to charge the consumer the full price of those uh, installations. So what we have now is a Tim Hudak saying, well, I'll, I'm willing to put us so far, like tens of billions, maybe $100 billion uh, in additional debt, also that I don't have to say, the word coal or the or some other technology i mean we're not pro coal we're not anti uh, you know nuclear for that matter we're just saying if it's clean that's fine that's an, a requirement but other than that the emphasis has to be on lowest price not on fighting climate change which they've never demonstrated they could even do with any of these things so on a major issue like that freedom party is distinguishing ourselves we're saying we're not co2 fighters and in, in for the vast majority of of uh, people on our side of the spectrum, uh, I think they would share that view that, thank goodness, there's one party now that's no longer going to be spending billions of dollars trying to change what Mother Nature's delivering. Now, now on that note, I think uh, it might be a good time to take our first break because, of course, the, the campaign didn't just start today or yesterday. It has been going on for a while. You've been campaigning quite heavily for about a year. Yep. So has McGinty, so has Hudak. And uh, we'll be hearing a little bit of your own campaigning, haha, a little bit later. Uh, things that you've, some of the controversies you created over the summer. Oh boy. And, uh, but first, let's start off with, with the environment we're in. Here's a couple of clips from uh, the first one from CTV News, and the second on the other side of the bumper is from Global TV, Ontario, uh, both on the Ontario election. Both of these clips are, oh, about two weeks old, not, not more than a few days apart from each other. So maybe some of the polls are a little bit, you know, dated a week or two right. but the rest of the you know just let's look look at the kind of issues that were being discussed over the summer and we'll be back right after this the direction that we are pursuing a photo op to recharge electric cars Simple that. a whistle stop on the go train line complete with a promise we're going to introduce a service guarantee all the hallmarks of an election campaign that hasn't officially started but a new poll by Nanos Research for CTV, The Globe and Mail, and CP24 shows that the race is on. 1,000 randomly selected people were asked, who would you consider voting for in October's provincial election? Tim Hudak's Progressive Conservative Party has the lead with 42.1% of decided voters. 
That's a four and a half point lead over McGinty's governing liberals. Andrea Horvath's New Democrats get 16.2% support. I think a lot of that has to do with the negative attack ads that we've seen from Dalton McGinty on Tim Hudak. They've been able to uh, narrow the gap, at least uh, to a certain extent, over the last couple weeks. McGinty is not alone in the unofficial campaign. Tim Hudak is courting voters, too, promising to get tough on sex offenders. As premier, I will put a GPS bracelet on each of those offenders. And promising to cut taxes. When it comes to the HST, we're going to take it off heat in hydro bills, all to help maintain his lead with decided voters. According to the Nanos Research poll, that lead is shrinking. A similar poll in May put the Liberals at 34%. Today's survey happened between August 10th and 13th, and it shows the Liberals gaining 3.6%. But the Conservatives gained too, moving from 41.3 to 42.1%. The NDP, however, slipped two and a half points. Expect a lot of negativity, a lot of fireworks and sparks over the next while. Thank you so much. Thank you. But to be the winner on election night, all political parties are focused on something else. The 16.9% of voters who say they have still not made up their minds. doing something wrong? What is McGinty doing that is suddenly resonating? Jerry Agars, New Talk, News Talk 1010's midday host, Sun columnist. Thank you for being here, and I know you're outspoken and have a lot to say on this campaign as well. Yeah, they're here for analysis. I'm here for opinion. So let's begin with you. Let's begin with you. You saw how it's all changed, right? Yes, in terms yes. of, it was back in July, the Conservatives have an, had an 11-point lead. Suddenly it's a horse race. Is Mr. Hudak not delivering the goods? I heard some of your callers this week saying that they called him right. McGinty Light. These are conservative callers, quite critical of their leader. Yeah, I found it really interesting as a phenomenon. First of all, I think that uh, when those polls looked good for Hudak, he was running not to lose. And I don't know that that did him well because he didn't light up any kind of base. And I was thinking about a year ago when uh, Rob Ford was running for mayor of Toronto. I mean, pretty controversial, right? And people would say very critical things of him. And then I would get calls and emails and text messages of people defending him. And on Thursday, I had Tim Hudak on the show. We talked for a while, and then conservatives started calling in and criticizing him that he didn't have a strong enough program, and nobody came to his defense. Where's the base? Who's voting for him? People have mentioned here uh, around the table the announcement on Thursday from Tim Hudak of uh, grow ops and uh, meth labs and how he'll protect homes. And, uh, you know, I would put myself forth as one of the more conservative people in the media in Toronto these days, and mm -hmm. so a lot of listeners of mine are very conservative. They don't want Dalton McGuinty. They want Tim Hudak to succeed, and their heads went thump on the table when that's the most important thing you could come up with? I don't know. I wonder how far down the list of things to worry about that is for the average citizen. They say that they're not, it's not far enough away from McGinty's policies, and that's why they're saying they'd rather go with the devil they know the devil they don't know. How, why would they, why would a conservative vote for But why would a conservative voter who's disappointed with Hudak throw his support behind McGinty? Well, I don't know that he will, but then what I think what conservatives are thinking is, okay, the hardcore liberals, the hardcore conservatives are going to vote the way they're going to vote, yeah. right? And there's that group of people that are going to decide the election, and is that group of people sitting around thinking, as soon as somebody gets on the grow ops, 
I'm in. Guys, let me jump in just for a second because I, I, I think, you know, we, we've had a great discussion here, but it's all on tactics and positioning and polling and things like that. It, it seems to me that right now we haven't got a proper ballot question. I mean, we're not sitting here saying, you know, we've got to be cutting back our services to pay off the deficit or we've got, you know, the real issue is the value of taxpayers' money. I think that the reason why we're not getting, you know, a whole lot of traction on anything right now is because we haven't had the, the election defined yet. So, you know, it, Tim Hudak is talking about, you know, meth labs and uh, we've got the Premier talking about elder care or, you know, time away. We haven't yet seen the focus of this campaign, which usually comes down to this or that. And I don't know what that or this is going to look like yet. As always, John, you're on to something. We gotta you're listening to Just Right, and we're in studio, Bob and I are in studio with the leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario, Paul McKeever. And what do you think of that uh, little bit of debate there, Paul, on the, uh, what show was that, do you recall? C C well, they, that was both uh, CTV and Global News. CTV yeah. and Global, talking about um, Hudak's fear-mongering, basically, with the uh, security right. issues of pedophiles and all this nonsense, and uh, convicts going out collecting trash. Yeah, the day pass he wants to give them. Uh -huh. Yeah, so yeah. that so that guards can point guns at at them while our children are playing in the park. Great, <laughs> great idea. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Mr. Hudak. Also, um, there is the notion that conservatives are basically leaving this party. Yeah, I, I know that. Find that. that? Yeah, no, find it. They write to me every day. In fact, in here in London, uh, London North Centre is a perfect example of that. Uh, Mary Lou Ambrosio was an excellent top-flight candidate. Uh, that has come over to us. She was, in 2007, the campaign manager for the provincial progressive conservative candidate in London North Centre. <laughs> so that's how bad it's gotten. It, it's, it's to the point She's where... She's also run for the conservatives. She has run for the federal conservatives as well. And uh, London Fanshawe. That's yes. right. And I think the alliances are shifting federally, like between federal and provincial uh, parties. You know, even when the conservatives uh, first formed and, uh, you know, when the, when the merger happened, they were very careful to make sure, to, so as to take out of their, their uh, federal constitution the idea that there is a federal-provincial connection mm -hmm. with the progressive conservatives. They did not want a formal connection with the progressive conservatives. And that's fortunate because in many cases, I mean, our, our provincial candidates, the Freedom Party of Ontario candidates come from a wide variety of backgrounds. Uh, some of them might be uh, federal liberal or federal uh, green uh, voters, and certainly some of them are also federal conservative voters. In fact, uh, some of them are still to this day active with uh, riding associations at the federal level, uh, conservative riding associations. So uh, there's a lot of compatibility, and um, I mean, Freedom Party's unlike a lot of parties, so we, we, we nurture those compatibilities and we're able to because of the stands that we take. You know, another thing is that at the provincial level, here we have our soldiers uh, fighting in places like Afghanistan, et cetera, committing troops in places like Libya and, and or at least attack forces. And people might think of, you know, Ontario provincial politics is not really a, a matter that has anything to do with the, the enemy we're fighting over there. Well, that's absolute nonsense. Uh, provincially, we have... Uh, attempts to make social change within our publicly funded public education, for example, public institutions, uh, to uh, basically lay the groundwork for an, a theocratic style of governance, uh, for one that respects Sharia, not the laws made by human beings in the legislature, but the laws that are allegedly laid down by Allah in, in, a, in a text. And so, uh, for example, uh, this really made the news in, in uh, Toronto, but probably made it uh, province-wide as well. There are literally uh, two or three schools in uh, Toronto where during, during class, students leave class, 
uh, go, uh, assemble in the cafeteria, an imam is brought in from uh, somewhere in Toronto and leads them in prayer while other students are in class for about uh, 40 minutes. So here we are, we're turning a, a publicly funded, these are public schools, mm-hmm. into places of worship. We don't do that. In fact, for whether you're Christian or anybody else, we don't do that. We, we are very assiduously guarded against that in the secular public school system, and we have to be because these are not private schools. These are publicly funded schools. Now, we have Tim Hudak. You would think, oh, well, isn't he going to have learned his lesson from the 2007 election because the progressive conservatives famously lost that election because they promised taxpayer funding for private religious schools. Well, I could not believe my ears and eyes when I saw some video footage of Tim Hudak in 2009. So we're only talking a couple years ago. This is when he was running for the leadership of the progressive conservatives, saying that, no, no, that debate's not over. But instead of, but he says, I will never promise to give taxpayer money to the private schools. We have to talk about (laughs) providing those religious options within the public school system. Even worse. Even worse. So that's why there's been no response from Tim Hudak and the Progressive Conservatives to the um, uh, organized prayer within our public schools, because in fact, that's only a small uh, example of what they are actually offering to their own constituency. Now, what are the planks in the platform of the Freedom Party that address the separation, if you would, of churches, mosques, and the government? Yeah, well, I mean, basically our position is, in all cases, the government is there to answer and serve only the people, not any particular person's uh, God. And so we uh, demonstrate that in three main ways. One, we have a plank concerning prayer in the legislature. You'll recall that, I think it was about three years ago, Dalton McGinty tried to change or remove, I think, the Lord's Prayer altogether from the official opening proceedings. Now, now, now I have a question for you. You you suggested that might just be a um, more of a Toronto issue and not so much a local issue. And yet when you brought this issue to the attention in your riding where you're running in Elgin, Middlesex, London, there you were on the front page of the paper. True enough. Headline. Uh, so it must must be of interest to people beyond the Toronto area. <laughs> I, I, oh, it's certainly of interest. Um, I'm, just, I'm just saying that the schools out here have not yet uh, had the local experience, you know, of, of people seeking to have organized mm. prayer. And, you know, so a lot of parents won't be aware that this is happening in Toronto. But you're right. Uh, front page of the uh, St. Thomas Times Journal, which is a Sun Media publication, uh, Freedom Expels Religion. It was a nice yeah. play on words there. And uh, they very nicely and very ca- carefully explained our, our position on that. But it was the only story. It took up the whole front page and I think most of page yeah. two. Um, it was also uh, generated a quote of the week and on the Saturday edition. So, yes, it's, it's, I think, people, conservatives like Mary Lou, people like Mary Lou, who are concerned about those social issues, aren't seeing any answer to them in the progressive conservatives, the liberals, the NDP. They are seeing it in Freedom Party because we're taking this seriously. This is not, I mean, we in Windsor, there's a, a, a quote-unquote pilot project where they're teaching uh, children in Arabic. This is a public school. They're teaching in Arabic for the first three years. Well, clearly this is so they can, you know, uh, use their their language skills for things like reading the Quran, which is written in Arabic. There is another school in Toronto where the cafeteria only serves meat that is prepared in accordance with Islamic law. And other students going there saying, I don't want to eat that particular kind of meat. Can I have some other kind of meat, please? Are told no. So, when uh, 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 they had Steve Rockwell, a man from Toronto, on uh, Focus on Terror, that same program mm. you're talking about, he said that he was uh, that 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 the uh, what is it the the Jewish 
and Catholic and other and Protestant and other religions had failed in trying to get religion into the public schools, and now the Islamic movement is moving it into the schools. He was proud of it, and he was saying it's there's going to be more of it. It's going to become more and more important, and I believe him. So well, freedom. Clearly, it's been starting some infighting among religions, even within the school system, because now you have other religions picketing the schools that are allowing right. some kind of practice that isn't their religion, which is precisely the reason we took religion out of the public so-called secular right. school it's, system in the first place. That's so right. the Freedom Party is going to make sure that the public school systems and the Parliament of Ontario remain secular, Correct. offering no favorites to either religion. That's right. If a child wants to, to pray on his, uh, you know, while he's sitting at his desk, I mean, if of course he's free to do that kind of thing. But we're not going to take children out of class to pray. We're not going to set aside space within a school for people to pray during uh, class or even after class. That's not why we fund these schools. We fund these schools so the children can learn the ABCs or the... Uh, you know, the uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic, if or you will. Or the NDPs. <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, of education. We're not there as a church. That's not why taxpayers fund the public school system. And uh, there are forces, uh, social forces, political forces that want that to happen. The progressive conservatives are saying, welcome to the progressive conservative party. And we're saying, progressive conservative party, you're the biggest threat to democracy in this province. You're gone. And I think that's what's causing people like the Mary Lou's and et cetera to come over to Freedom Party now, because they're seeing this as an important social issue. Just one of many we've got represented in the platform, of course, but one of many that has to be dealt with. And uh, they see not only not any response there, when there should be from the opposition leader uh, to, to McGinty allowing this to go on in, in the public school system, they're not only seeing no response, they're actually seeing, in, like I said in 2009, a wink, blink, and a nod to the religious forces that saying, guess what, once I get elected, I'm going to take some of those public schools and turn them into religious schools for your children so you'll have free religious education. That's what's coming. And by the way, I made this statement over a month ago, I believe it is. I, was, I made it on 1010 CFRB. The station said they would bring Tim Hudak in to, to defend himself on that if he wanted to. There hasn't been a single word uttered by him on that. Hey, if you don't deny something like that, it's as good as a confirmation as far as I'm concerned. I've been bold and blunt on this. He's not responding. As far as I'm concerned, it's exactly what I'm saying. Where well, can people go to get the planks, uh, uh, to read the platform of the Freedom Party of Ontario? It. Well, they can go to, uh, the best place to go is uh, www.freedomparty.on.ca. Uh, it's available not only in uh, HTML format and PDF format. Each plank is available in PDF so that you can print them. But it's also available... Um, in audio format. So if you want, if you're on the bus, in the car, you can just click a button and listen to the whole uh, plank being read to you. And in fact, the other day, uh, we put together or completed the uh, first audiobook of an election platform, I believe in world history, but mm -hmm. uh, Freedom Party's um, audiobook will be available in the coming days. It's already been distributed uh, through news release. And uh, in fact, anyone who wants to go to freedomparty.on.ca slash updates will be able to download it right now. And you're running in the writing of uh, Elgin, Middlesex, London, which takes in uh, Aylmer, St. Thomas, and actually parts of uh, southern London. Uh, who else would you have as a slate here in the listening area of London, Ontario? Well, as you, as you mentioned, um, uh, I'm in uh, one of the four that are attached to the London, the city of London, Elgin, Middlesex, London. There's Mary Lou Ambrosio in London North Centre, Dave Dernan in London Fanshawe, and uh, Tim Hodges in London West. All of them excellent candidates, well-versed in, in uh, well, what it takes to have a free country. And I highly recommend that those who are seeing no options out there take seriously the issues of, you know, 
getting our electricity system. Stop politicizing it. With there's this. an all-candidates debate this afternoon, isn't there? Where yeah, two uh, absolutely, and and it's a four-riding. Uh, uh, you know, debate. So there will be candidates from all of the four ridings we just mentioned. And you'll be there. What time is this and where is it? 3.30 at the Kiwani Senior Center. That's at Warncliffe and Riverside. I believe it's on Riverside, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yeah. behind the uh, Junior Achievement there. Yeah. Now, of course, another big milestone for Freedom Party and people discovering the platform of Freedom Party is, of course, what's happening on Sun TV News yesterday and today that started. You want to tell us about that? Well, we launched not all out and our, our, well, I guess you could call it an all-out attack, uh, because one of the ads, in fact, uh, featured that very issue we were talking about, prayer in the legislature, and we put it in context. I mean, we're coming up on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. We show some footage from the planes hitting the buildings uh, to remind people of that, and we show what has happened since in terms of protests in places like London, England, where uh, there's one sign featured, for example, in the in the commercial that's airing uh, currently on Sun TV, and there's there's six, I believe, six or ten, I believe, airing on Sun TV over the next few days. But one of them features this fellow holding a sign in protest, and it says something like, um, freedom from man-made law, submission to Allah the way. I mean, this is mainstream protesting going on in, these aren't faraway places, this is the Western world. So we're trying to draw that to the attention of the voter, uh, and as a result, you naturally have a pretty heavy-hitting commercial uh, but there are also a number of lighter issues. I, and, you know, it's amazing that some of the things that Ontario has been demanding for so long remain things that the other parties uh, mm-hmm. refuse. And I can I can list them off, but they refuse to go to. For example... Well, we can actually... You don't have to give us the example. We can hear you debating this with other people over the summer on some of those Toronto radio stations that you uh, created oh. some controversies over, which is what we'll be doing between now and the other side of the break, we'll be hearing a sort of a collage of some of the debates that Paul McKeever has gotten into uh, in in the Toronto uh, area mostly, uh, talking to some of the uh, people on 1010 there, other radio stations. I think you'll recognize some of the personalities. And when we return, we will continue our conversation with Freedom Party of Ontario leader Paul McKeever. talking tonight about the uh, Freedom Party of Ontario. They've released one of their platforms, one of their planks, rather, uh, of their platform in regards to religion and schools. It has been a heated debate in this province over the last few weeks, few months. It's a large plan, but uh, an interesting one nonetheless that has come out in regards to separating public schools and organized religious practice. Uh, One of the only, and I'm going to say this because I think it needs to be said, one of the only political parties in the province that has spoken out one way or the other in regards to the idea of prayer being allowed in schools, for example. Yeah, I mean, the other uh, parties have generally said we should leave it up to the school boards. Uh, I, I might actually vote for someone who had the cojones to take on this kind of issue. Paul McKeever, uh, you're with the Freedom Party here in Ontario. You've joined the Oakley Show before. I mean, what's your thought on this uh, development here? Well, I'll tell you, John, this is not only talk radio red meat, it's also a looming provincial election issue, and it should be one. Uh, you'll remember former PC leader John Tory wanted to extend taxpayer funding to private religious schools, and he lost the election as a result. But as recently as 2009, the current progressive conservative leader, Tim Hudak, is on the record as saying he wants religious choice, quote, within our public school system, unquote. And you'll remember that the Ontario uh, law already allows alternative schools to be set up, like the Afrocentric school in Toronto. That's the back door that they're quietly going to use. 
They're going to set up, just like your one guest would like to have, a multitude of different religious schools, all part of the existing public school system. Instead of doing what Tory did, they'll just say, okay, we'll turn our existing public schools into alternative religious schools. We'll see where this one goes, and if, in fact, it does become, again, an issue in the upcoming provincial election in October. Want to ban the use of cosmetic pesticides, for example? Well, hang on just a second. Paul McKeever is with the Freedom Party, and they would make this a plank in their platform. Paul McKeever says there's no science to support the ban. Give us your pitch. The problem here is that there is no science that shows that this stuff, properly used, harms people. The minister himself, when he was pushing this bill through the legislature, the liberal minister said, quote, Nobody knows exactly what the long-term health effect of these products together is. Yet the government has gone ahead because of a fear or because of buying votes from the environmental extremists. They've gone ahead with banning the stuff. I, I swore... I thought George Michael had a song called Freedom, but we played Wham. Some I, I don't I know this song, but I didn't know it was called F Freedom. Paul, if you're leader of the Freedom Party, you should know everything that has to do with the word freedom. You've got to give for what you take, Jim. But is that the, what's the name of the song? It's Freedom, it's, is it not? Yeah, it's called Freedom. Do you believe that Ontario is any less responsible than states or provinces that allow us greater accents? The Freedom Party wants to clamp down on the uh, beer store and the LCBO. We're saying the beer store, it's owned by three companies, all of them are foreign, and they've got a monopoly. What has that got to do with responsibility? And yet the Liberals and the NDP and the Conservatives, they've all been in government, and none of them have gotten rid of that monopoly and let other competitors sell beer in the province. And as a result, you can't buy half the beers that are made in this province. It's ridiculous. Yeah. That social responsibility is, is a lie, and it's, be, it's being touted there to make sure there are no changes to our, our grossly outdated liquor and beer distribution system. So Freedom Party is saying it's time to open up. The, we're not talking about selling, any, selling off the beer store. Yeah. Or selling. We're just talking, saying open up the whole thing to competition. Let a person buy their beer and wine at the grocery store while they're buying their burgers and steak. Let them go down at 3 in the morning when they get off work at, uh, from the factory. Sure. Paul, do you want to hear that other Freedom song right now? Oh, absolutely. Cue it up. There we go. There you go. You do. All right, Paul, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. <laughs> and that's Paul McKeever, who's our guest today, having some fun during the summer while he was campaigning on the trail. One of many issues that has raised the attention of Ontarians. And that was another one that got a big headline, again, in your riding of um, Elgin, Middlesex, London there. You know, what is FP it with that particular... slams LCBO, big What headline. is it with this particular issue about the beer and alcohol? I mean, I, I just came back from a, a, a bit of a holiday in Newfoundland, and you can buy beer basically anywhere. Yep. In the corner stores at your mom-and-pop variety, it is not a problem down there. I mean, it's, it's taken for granted. Yet, when you come to this particular province, people seem to take for granted the fact that, oh, no, if you want beer, you have to go to the beer is store. Is that what you were doing when you weren't on the air for those two weeks? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> yeah. Cruising the convenience stores. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that leader, or that uh, FP leader slams LCBO. That was quite a, uh, quite a headline there in, uh, in the uh, St. Thomas Times Journal. And uh, for a good reason. And that is one of the things that we've really found uh, is wanted in this province and has been election after election is, can't I please be treated like an adult, because I am one, and uh, have the freedom to purchase my 
wine or beer in the local convenience store or in the same place where I get my steak and my bread and, and all, all the other good things that I shop for, perhaps at 3 in the morning at the 24-hour uh, grocery store because I'm a day shift worker and I've got all these other things to do or, you know, working late into uh, 1 o'clock in the morning. You know, we're no longer a 9-to-5 society. We are working all different hours at all different kinds of jobs we need more convenience, not less. And the uh, LCBO is one of those issues where the li- Liberals and the Conservatives and the NDP, I mean, in Elgin, Middlesex, London, where the St. Thomas Times Journal is printed, they literally asked my, comp- my competitors there, the NDP, the Liberal and the uh, PC competitors, what's your position on this issue? Wine and beer in the, in the uh, convenience stores? They all said no. Well, Paul McKeever saying yes and Freedom Party saying yes. And I'll tell you, that's one of the quickest and easiest things to accomplish in this province. And it's one of several because there are a number of these small, easy fixes that are personally relevant to people that they understand that really deserve to be spoken about in this election and, frankly, are are spoken about in the election among real people, not necessarily among the people who are trying to have us all talk about, you know, whatever uh, Dalton McGinty's latest uh, bigot bait is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Now, Now, of course... If if one is to look at the 18 planks that are online right now, all with, you know, commercial ads, uh, audio books, a whole deal, uh, isn't the real difference between those kinds of planks and what we're hearing from the major parties, aren't there really more for the average person, like something you can actually grasp onto in your daily life, whether right. it is, uh, you know, cheaper electricity built on rational market prices or... Uh, conveniences like um, what we're just talking about now, uh, corner store. Uh, oh, the pesticide ban is another good one. Pesticide, tons of them, little things that that bother people on a daily basis. You know that you hear about all the time, and right. people just put up with. What would you do with that pesticide ban? We'd scrap it. These these are pesticides. Now keep in mind, it's not that we're saying get rid of all pesticide bans. We're saying that the ones that have been proven to be carcinogenic and etc. Uh, should be should remain banned. Mm-hmm. But what that's not what happened here. There was a ban that was imposed because the Green the green Movement in Toronto wanted it to happen. Uh, they wanted, I think probably at the root of it, they wanted to encourage um, uh, more weed pullers. Perhaps it's a, a make-work project or something. I'm not sure. Because the, the um, pesticides that they banned are all already approved by Health Canada. There, there is no evidence, and the minister said so, that there's no evidence that these these pesticides, the ones that were banned, harm people. He literally said, we don't know <laughs> what the effect of these drugs, so we're going to ban them anyway. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's just uh, so childish and obviously there to, to uh, gain the votes of the, of the fearful. Uh, and whenever we get a criticism about that plank, for example, it's always by someone who says, oh, you're pro carcinogen. Well, no, we're not. None of these none of these compounds have been found to be carcinogenic. So that's it's it's just a non-starter. Give us another plank uh, similar to that one. Uh, the highway law, uh, highway speed. Laws. Well, in fact, that we'll is be probably a more about that one shortly. Too. Yeah, that I mean that that one has probably generated oddly enough more interest. Uh, than almost everything else. Uh, I mean, all of them have generated a lot, uh, especially those easy to understand. But that one went on for about... The discussion on talk radio went on for about two, three weeks after mm-hmm. the fact. It literally took on a life of its own. What we were proposing is that, you know, highway speeds, the traffic moves at about 120 kilometers per hour on the 400 series highways, you know, the 403, the 401, the 402. And we're saying, look... Um, they always have moved at that speed. When they, now, when they just to give you an example, I went to Toronto this morning and yes. back before the show to the to the airport, and with your 
plank in mind of raising the speed limit to 120 kilometers an hour, yes. I gauged the speed of the cars around me. And going into Toronto was rush hour yep. in the early morning. Everybody from Kitchener-Waterloo were, uh, were just rushing into Toronto. That The, the speed was about, uh, about 105 in the right lane. Nobody was doing 100, by the way. Nobody. Nope. Every single person on the road was breaking the law. Every single one. Every transport truck, every car, every van. Right. Without, without exception. Except maybe when a transport truck had to go up a little grade. <laughs> but yeah. then on the other side, man, right. he, he sped up. But my point is, right-hand lane was about 105, 102 to 105. Uh, middle lane was about 110 on cruise control for 100, you know, 20 kilometers, 30 kilometers without touching it. But in the, the fast lane... The average speed, I would say, when I got into that one was about 120. People doing 125, 115, right? Yeah. Quite, quite responsibly. Yep. Every single one of them breaking the law. Yep. Every single one of them could have been pulled over. Right. And yet we all did it. Every single car, thousands upon thousands of Ontarians breaking the traffic laws. Yep. Isn't it about time that was changed? Yeah, I mean, if you want the law to be respected, pass respectable laws. And and the, the thing of the the whole thing of the matter is, 120 is almost about the same speed. We had the old system, of course, the miles per hour, but it's about the same speed that we had originally. Back mm -hmm. in the early 70s, it was a 70 mile per hour, 400 series highway system. And, and that uh, was a promise that the Ontario government made to Ontario taxpayers at the time. We could get you to Toronto in two hours. Of and course. That, you know, and so it's called a highway for a reason. It's not. A, it's not called a low way. You yeah. know, and, and the roads were graded for that and built for that. Yes, and then they make people slow down. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the idea is um, uh, simply restore the speeds that you know we had already when they, the roads were built for that speed. And the reasoning behind lowering the speed has nothing to do with safety. That was not the reason the speeds were lowered. What happened was that Arab countries in the early 70s told the United States, we're going to crank up the price and lower the supply of, of uh, oil mm -hmm. to your country because you are taking an uh, pro-Israel stance. And until you take an anti-Israel stance, we're going to try and uh, starve you from you know the oil that you need to, to maintain your uh, economic activity. Well, the Americans didn't take the bait. Instead, what they did is they rationed oil and to do that they said well cars use uh, the cars of the 1970s early mm -hmm. 1970s use fuel most efficiently when they're traveling at 55 so they Correct. dropped speed limits to 55 but that short-term bid by the Arabs is no longer in, in play I mean that's something that was gone by 1975 mm -hmm. and so the Americans have allowed those speed limits go to be restored to where they were before not Ontario Ontario has left the darn speeds down where they were you know, as a matter of foreign affairs, uh, they, they were dropped down and, and we're still there 30, 40 years later. So it's, it's ridiculous. So we're saying, look, you shouldn't have a system in which everybody can be pulled over by the police officer on a whim to be given a ticket. And it doesn't matter, by the way, if you get a ticket for one kilometer over the limit or 20 or 30 or 50, every single one of them will cause your insurance to increase. One kilometer over the limit will cause your insurance. I'm not talking about tickets. Who cares about tickets? Look at the price of your insurance mm -hmm. for the next four to seven years if you're caught doing one over the limit. So you're put in a situation where police officers can literally, it's just shooting fish in a barrel. That's all it is. And we're saying, no, that's not right. Bring the speed limits to where they should be, the 120. If someone goes faster than that, faster than what they're already doing, faster than what the speed of traffic already is, get, get those guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if it becomes well, a problem, you know, raise the raise the fines, but do not 
find people for doing what they're what everyone's doing take another break right now in fact continuing that conversation that you had with uh, yet another person in the toronto market area and when we come back on the other side we will continue this conversation i have some interesting questions for paul too he's got some explaining to do when we come back so after <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back right after this Let's talk about the speed limits. Now, uh, 100 clicks on the 400 series almost seems antiquated. You know, it used to be faster in 76, and then we changed a lot to reflect the Americans, uh, taking it down to 55 miles per hour. So the Freedom Party and Paul McKeever, it's had, are suggesting we get back to 120. We can handle it. Technically, almost everybody, 90% of drivers out there are exceeding the posted limit. So it's like catching fish in a barrel. Can we still have a safe uh, motoring society if we've got 400 series of highways going up to 120? Or do you think this will lead to abuse? Well, joining us on the line right now, the man whose proposal it is, or the latest incarnation anyway, Paul McKeever heads the Freedom Party of Ontario. But Paul McKeever, I mean, if Brian Patterson from the Ontario Safety League is right, increasing speeds just increases the chances uh, or the stats on calamity, why would you be a proponent of this? Well, because we're, no one's talking about increasing the speed of vehicles. We're just talking about raising the limits so that they can't be charged for doing the speed that they're already doing. Uh, the roads were said to be uh, built for 70 at the time, and that's in the, in the 1970s with uh, people driving Pintos on them. We now have cars that are, by yesterday's standards, the equivalent of race cars being driven by every, everyday families at 120. So we're not talking about increasing the speed. We're simply saying take away the opportunity of, of uh, officers to just sort of pick and choose at random whenever their ticket uh, quotas get low. No, let us, let us travel at the speed we're doing without the risk of ticketing. Is Brian Patterson right, though, this would invite certain abuses? I mean, because if people go about 13 kilometers over the posted, you put it to 120, they're going to go 133, 135, 140 with a sense of impunity. Could that lead to calamitous by, uh, let's say, unintended consequences? I don't think so. It's all a question of enforcement. The uh, police officers simply have to pull over the very same people they're pulling over today. Out. Rick Perry dropping in and Michelle Bachman and Ron Paul dominating the Ames straw poll. We got ourselves a race. We have a top tier. It is Mitt Romney, Rick Perry, and Michelle Bachman. We have a new top tier, and it's Perry, Mitt Romney, and Bachman. There's now a top tier in this race, at least for now, of Romney, Perry, and Bachman. I mean, I think that's fair to say. Really fair to say? You're not forgetting, I don't know, anyone, say, an ideologically consistent 12-term congressman who came within less than 200 votes of winning the straw poll? Isn't anyone going to give that gentleman a little love? There's a top tier now of, of, of Bachman and Perry and Romney, and, you know, we haven't mentioned, and we should... Thank you! We haven't mentioned, and we should, Rick Santorum, who did really surprisingly well for the amount of money and resources he had. Rick Santorum? He didn't get half of what Ron Paul got. He lost to the guy who lost so bad he dropped out of the race. <laughs> Santorum? <laughs> oh, that is funny. Hey, I, I, I was reading on something called, what is it called? At McKeever tweets. Apparently, uh, Paul McKeever traded Ron Paul $20.11 for freedom in 1984. True story. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel yourself to be the Ron Paul of Canadian politics or Ontario politics sometimes, Paul? Well, it's certainly the case that the, the media um, deal primarily with the uh, parties that already have seats in the legislature. That's just a hazard. Of the, but, you know, you really can't complain about that kind of thing. It's uh, Even the NDP doesn't get yeah. much love, if you want to call. Uh, you know, we don't play the old Green Party whiner thing. How come not, not included? 
the debates. Our issues transcend those debates, and we're going outside of that anyway. Most of our support's coming now from the internet, and we we stream directly to people. So, no, we're not a party of whiners, and uh, I'm I'm quite happy. Uh, besides, the media, as you could, as you've heard from these clips, it depends on the media. Talk radio sure. is eating our stuff up. So, yeah. uh, no, I I think we're getting a pretty good reception in the media, and it's only going to get louder. I think you are too. By the way, uh, Bob, I saw one mm. of those tweets as well. And uh, one of them was, Paul McKeever wasn't born. He liberated himself from the womb. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's one of my favorites. In Braveheart, the movie, Mel Gibson was originally supposed to scream, Freedom Party. However, it was changed to just freedom for legal reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we threatened to sue, yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, back to a little bit Those of a serious note, though. We've talked about some of the more, I don't know what you might want to say, side issues, uh, speed limits, LCPO, beer. Um, pesticides, things like that. Things actually which are important and affect everybody's daily life. But there are the number one issue that the polls say that affects people the most is health care. What's the Freedom Party's platform on health care? Well, uh, just before you get into it, yeah, I want to remind everybody out there that every single election, we go back and forth between conservatives and liberals, each one trying to say that they'll solve the problem of health care. And yet we have this teeter-totter of conservative liberal mismanagement, misgovernance on the entire issue. Why don't we just get off this teeter-totter and look at what you have to say? So what is your plank? Well, look, the, the whole problem is that it's clear anybody who's tried to find a doctor in any recent year, if you, unless you've been lucky enough to have, have one for the last several decades, it's very difficult to get a new doctor. Uh, we have McGinty out there saying, everyone's got increased access to a doctor. They don't. What they have access to is a clinic that you can sit in for five hours waiting to be the next served if you got in soon enough. Out where I live, uh, they have a clinic there. You have to get, the, the clinic opens at five. You have to get there in the first 15 minutes or else they'll say, sorry, we've taken all we can afford, all we can take for the evening, come back another day or go to the hospital. So they call that access, improved access. But the old, the old idea of just simply having a doctor who has your records, who remembers who you are, who knows what your body's doing and what it's not doing, that is not what McGinty's offering right now. What, so what Freedom Party is saying is, look, the reason we have that is because uh, the uh, provincial uh, conservatives and liberals and NDP have this idea. And it comes back from 1991, a report that was generated for the governments when healthcare costs were spiraling, still spiraling out of the control even at that point. The experts were saying, well, I know. Get rid of the number of doctors you have. Reduce the number of doctors that are graduating from medical schools. You'll have fewer mouths to feed with your, with your, with your, uh, you know, your tax revenues. And they literally decided in 1993 that's what they were going to do. So Freedom Party saying, no. You're not going to try and control healthcare costs by simply limiting the number of doctors, preventing people from getting the healthcare services they need. We're not going to allow that. That's that is the, the rationing that they're trying to do. They call it the best system. At the same time, and they'll, they'll say, "Well, gee, why do we have a doctor shortage?" They are creating it. There is an, a, a government limit on the number of people who can go to medical school. There's a limit on it, and I am going to be pressing throughout this election. You know, our point, which is we want to open up those medical schools. If you're listening here on the campus, by the way, I want you to be able to get into medical school much more easily than you can right now. You're not going to have to have, you know, a friend in the, a friend of the family or a donor to the school. I want there to be double or triple the number of openings in medical schools. And by the time this uh, next four-year term is out, we'll have more MDs uh, than we ever could have imagined. Now, oh, that's so unfortunate for the provincial government. Uh, there's going to be all these new mouths to feed. Yeah, and it will also be the fact that people will actually have the medical uh, treatment that they're needing and wanting. And we're saying, look, don't try and pay for it all through taxation. Give people some options. Give people the ability to say, well, look, 
I've got the need, apparently, for a MRI. I'm going down to the local MRI clinic. Uh, we're going to open up the, 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 uh, the, the uh, uh, gate, if you will, so that people who want to invest their money uh, and who have the expertise or they can hire the expertise will be able to set up those clinics. You won't have to wait six months or a year to find out whether, whether or not you're suffering from a cancer that's eating you alive. You can find out today, and the healthcare system will have to respond to that fact today. I'm convinced that under the current system, what they try to do is A, delay your uh, first assessment or your first contact with a doctor, then B, delay your first contact with a scan or a diagnosis so that C, by the time, you know, three, by the time they get to the uh, point of actually knowing you're sick, they can say, I'm sorry, sir, but the cancer has spread so far, it's untreatable. We can, you know, uh, give you uh, medical uh, attention in the form of drugs to ease your pain as you step into the grave. And that's not acceptable. So Freedom Party saying, no, open the open the medical schools, open up the ability of people to set those uh, diagnostic clinics, uh, to invest in diagnostic clinics, allow people to pay directly for their um, uh, their diagnosis if they want to, um, and give people a choice in terms of who they're insured by. They Let them stay as they do in Germany. 70% of them stay with the uh, Crown, or that's what we call it a Crown Corporation here, with, over there, the government system. OHIP is what we have here, and we would allow people to choose to stay in the OHIP system, or instead to put their money into a private insurance system, or instead to pay cash as they go to, directly to the doctor. We want the doctor to be accountable to the payor, not to some politician. Well, that sounds like a fantastic platform, and I don't know why the, uh, well, actually, I do know why the Hudaks and the McGinties and the Horvaths will not accept something like that, because it doesn't feed into their uh, bureaucracy and the system and the fear of, uh, of a private uh, insurance system. But isn't it true that Canada is the only country in the world, except for North Korea and Cuba, yes, it is. Yeah. which outlaws private health delivery. That's right. And the, the, the notion that you have to ration health care for everyone uh, in order to have a, a, a uh, you know, humane health care system is absolutely monstrous. It's a lie. It, it's not only a lie, it's worse than a lie. What they're it's saying... It's killing people. It's exactly that. It's, it's literally allowing people to suffer and die needlessly. You could have a person who want, wants to provide the diagnosis but is legally prohibited from doing so. A person who has enough money to pay for the diagnosis but is legally prohibited from paying for it. In Ontario. So people are now driving next door to Michigan, next door to New York, next door to Quebec, to get the very services that for some reason in the Stone Age of Ontario, they're not allowed to, uh, to get. We're literally saying, we envy people so badly who could afford to get healthcare in those places that it, at home, they're not allowed to pay for those things. I think that's the root of all evil as far as I'm concerned, that kind of uh, envy, that uh, uh, backward looking uh, you know, view. I, I never, uh, you know, what we have in Ontario is not an insurance system as people think of it. It's a free-for-all and that's why politicians like it because it buys them votes. Yep. We could have a system where no one would have to worry about bankruptcy and the end of their financial life just because of hardship in their health issues. You know what I mean? That's yep. why we had insurance and all those other protections. And I think if you put everybody in the safety net, all 100% of us, there's nobody left holding it up exactly in, in right. that sense. You know? Exactly right. Especially and, when it's illegal to step outside of the safety net and hold it up. Th that's point. It's, it's illegal. You know, and, it's literally and illegal. And I sit there scratching my head and I look at all these learned people who are supposedly leading the province, you know, have all this expertise and they don't understand the most basic of principles. And it's, and it's evident in the consequences of their action. Well, the, you know, it's, it, the, here's the fact, and this is the saddest fact of all. Already it's the case that the system is intentionally 
allowing people to suffer and die and wait because they don't want to spend money on those people because there's a limit. And it already consumes health care in the province. 65% of every Ontario tax dollar and about 43% of all the money they spend, including the federal uh, money that comes in from the federal government. And it's expanding. It's expected to explode to something like 70% within a few years. You cannot maintain this because it's not. it was never designed even to be a maintainable system. Tommy Douglas, the father of this system, said... The purpose of Medicare is to keep healthy people well. It is not and cannot financially be sustained as a system to take all of the sick people and make them well. And he said that if, if we tried to make Medicare a system that, uh, that makes the sick well, the system will explode financially and people will turn against Medicare. There will be no political support for it because it won't be providing now, the service. Now, that... I know a lot of people find that hard to believe. Oh, yeah, Tommy Douglas said that. Well, he's in our in the Freedom Party ad uh, that you can see on yep. Uh, yep. freedomparty.on.ca and you can watch him yourself saying it way back when. It's like they knew this was all going to happen now in re- advance and they planned this disaster. Now, remember, while Tommy Douglas was the intellectual father of this particular health fiasco, uh, it, what what particular party brought in OHIP back in 67 to 69? Well, that's the irony. It, it, it was the progressive conservatives. Yes. And uh, they, in fact, are the authors of just about every uh, left-wing and, and uh, bankrupt system we have in this province, whether it's the nationalization of electricity, so now we've got billions in electrical debt, uh, the, the uh, uh, provincial income tax, the retail sales tax, which is now the HST, the eco-taxes that Tim Hudak complains about his government in 2001 put that act in place. <laughs> and it, the all, hypocrisy. The hypo- it's called the Waste Diversion Act 2001. Google it. It's, it's a progressive conservative act. And in the legislature, and you can read my blog, paulmckeever.ca. It's literally blog.paulmckeever.ca. I did a, a, a report that explained that the eco-taxes that Tim Hudak is now complaining about were openly discussed by progressive conservatives in the, legislatures, uh, in the legislature as things that would be happening under that act. So... You know, from from environmentalism, radical environmentalism, you know, trying to chase down what Mother Nature wants to uh, a broken healthcare system. We can thank the progressive conservatives, and now if we have, if if we are folly enough to elect them this time out, we're also going to have religious public schools. Now, where can people? Um, you're in you're in London today. Uh, where can people meet you if they wanted to actually say hi to you? Well, uh, I'll be at the um, at the uh, all candidates debate at three thirty. Three thirty. That's at um, the seniors uh, at the uh, Kiwani Seniors Center, uh, which is at Warncliffe and Riverside. Yes, and then uh, tonight uh, I'll be in Belmont at another debate. I'm sorry, I don't have the address of that one, but it's an agricultural debate. Um, and in between then, um, well, you might be able to catch me at the hotel here in town, the station parking. Okay. okay. Well, believe it or not, Paul, the time has gone, and we've got to leave for another week. Thank you, and Paul. And we hope that everyone will join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, you know what to do. Do right. <laughs> be right. Act right. Be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right. <laughs> Look, we are the government, aren't we? Indeed you are, Minister. So we're <laughs> all on the same side. No, no, of course yes, we are. no question. Trying to do what's best for Britain. I hardly think that the end of the national air freight business is best for Britain. I find it hard to see how Britain is served by the destruction of the railways. It is not immediately apparent how Britain benefits from a rapid deterioration of the road network. I just wanted to examine a few policy options for the government's own freight transport needs. I thought a preliminary discussion... Uh, a few friends around the table, a few constructive, 
positive suggestions? Well, of course, an expansion of rail transport. An expansion of motorway construction. An expansion of air freight capacity. But my brief is to achieve an overall reduction in costs. Ah, well, in that case, there is only one possible course. Indeed, there is. And there can be no doubt what it is. Good. I always like to end on a note of agreement. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs>